Welcome, everyone, to the Nomad on Fire podcast, the show all about the digital nomad lifestyle coupled with financial independence. We'll also be exploring tips and tricks on other lifestyle optimization strategies. I'm your host, Eric. Thanks for being here. Let's jump right in. All right, Kim Stan, welcome to the Nomad on Fire podcast. Hey, great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So we met, uh, when did we first meet? I guess it would have been in Thailand, right? You were, yep, yep. you're traveling with a remote year, same program that I was traveling on. And then I, you know, joined for a, a citizen month there to hang out with you guys in uh, Chiang Mai, Thailand at the beginning of this year before, you know, the COVID situation, uh, <laughs> got to where it is today, but this should be a great episode for the listeners. So you've been traveling around the world for a while as a digital nomad, and then you're also pursuing financial independence. You have a YouTube channel about it. So this should be a lot of fun and just lots of great information for the audience. So with that, I guess to kick it off, if you don't mind, you know, telling everybody about your story, what your background is. Great. Thanks so much, Eric. Yeah, so um, like you said, I'm a digital nomad right now. I'm in Mexico. My background is in pharmacy. I'm actually a pharmacist. And I've gotten on this uh, financial independence, this fire train recently, and kind of that's morphed into a YouTube channel where I've kind of wanted to share some of the things that I've learned and kind of similar to your goals with the podcast of, of kind of showing that overlap between you know the digital nomad lifestyle and financial independence. And um, yeah, but before all of that, uh, my story kind of starts probably 12 years ago when I left the U.S. for the first time. So the first trip that I took out of the U.S. was uh, a six-month trip to India, and it was in the Himalayas um, up in the north of India. And I was there for, uh, for six months in a Tibetan refugee community, and it was just really formative. It was, um, you know, a wonderful experience, and that's really where I got the idea that I really wanted to make slow, immersive travel uh, a part of my life. You know, I love learning about the culture, learning about the history, learning the language. And I knew that this was, you know, something I wanted to be able to incorporate in my life moving forward. And what I did instead was I came home and I went to pharmacy school, <laughs> and which is, uh, which is not a, uh, a career known for its location flexibility. So I went through pharmacy school. And at the end of that, I had this moment where I was you know, looking towards the career that I had in front of me. And I was looking for the life that I had in front of me. And I just had this moment where I was like, wow, this isn't really like what I had envisioned, you know, this isn't really what I had planned. And I talked to the people around me and, you know, nothing against anything about them, but they basically told me that this kind of life that you are envisioning, it is not um, realistic. You know, if you look, who do you see? Who do you look at that has this kind of life? And the only person I could think of was Anthony Bourdain. And, you know, they said, well, you're not an old white man with a TV show, you know, like you can have a good life with this career that you've um, you found and, you know, you can make a good salary and you can get a few weeks off a year that you can travel and explore and, you know, you can, you can be happy. And so, you know, I went along, but, you know, I thought, you know, this, this will be good. And so I went along with it and I got really into, um, a specific niche in pharmacy, which is healthcare IT and electronic health records. And this wasn't for any 
forethought of thinking, oh, maybe someday I'll be able to go remote with this. It was just, I looked at the industry that I was working in at that time as a clinical pharmacist, and I saw this great need, uh, this technological need uh, when it came to the tools that we were using to um, to approve drugs, to monitor patients. There was um, this huge transition at that time. This is about 2010, 2012. There was a transition from paper records to electronic health records. And I really saw that there was a need for people with clinical backgrounds to be involved in that process so that you don't have IT people, you know, making tools for doctors and, and whatnot. So I got really into that and it was super rewarding. I loved doing it. I felt like I could have, you know, a huge impact on lots of people. And I was going along my merry way doing that. And then I had a friend uh, reach out to me uh, who was living in the Netherlands at the time. And he said, you know, I'm over here. Uh, there's a hospital that's transitioning to the software that you're trained in and they're looking for pharmacists and analysts to come over and help, you know, bring this technology over here. And it's a six month project, you know, would you be interested? And it was like a light bulb went off. I was like, I thought back to that moment, you know, when I had, was a graduating college and I saw there's no path forward for me with this. And I said, oh, there actually is a path forward for me with this. And, um, you know, I was all excited to take the job, but Unfortunately, in those uh, in those five years, I had accumulated uh, quite a few possessions. So I had a house, I had a car, I had a house full of stuff, and I kind of had this moment where I decided, like, is it, is this something that I'm going to pursue, or am I going to, you know, stay with the stuff that I had accumulated? And you know, I decided to go. Um, I had a great time. I had a wonderful experience, and then. Um, at the end of that six months, I actually went through a huge personal change where I ended up getting divorced and um, I ended up losing the house and the car and all of the possessions. And I kind of started over from zero. And uh, while that was challenging, I really kind of looked at it as, you know, I was 30 at this point as an opportunity to really set up my life in a way that could uh, promote those goals and promote that vision that I had had for myself, you know, 10 years earlier. So at that point, my goal was um, to go back out and kind of be this international healthcare consultant, you know, traveling all over and helping hospitals all over the world implement the software. And again, uh, I had another curveball thrown to me where I was offered um, a fully remote job for a hospital in the U.S. And, um, you know, I was kind of weighing whether I should take this job or continue with the consulting work and I decided to take the remote work and that's where I kind of looked into that I got introduced to the idea of a digital nomad you know people who are location independent who like travel all over and that's kind of where I found remote year um, and so I decided to do remote year and as you said we met uh, we met in Thailand and I continued on um, to Japan after that and like you said the virus hit I was I was in Japan and I, luckily, I was able to stay there for six months. I made the, the decision that I wanted to take my chances there because I had really, you know, just kind of started on this lifestyle of being a digital nomad. And, you know, COVID came and kind of put all that into jeopardy. But I made the decision at that point, you know, this is really what I want to do. And that's kind of one of the first moments I had kind of towards financial independence was I was looking at this decision of saying, you know, should I go back? Should I stay? 
And I realized that I didn't have to consider like money didn't have to be my number one reason for doing that. Um, and I realized like, wow, like, you know, people always talk about money offering, you know, power or offering status. But, you know, that was one of the first times I really realized that it, more than anything, it offers you choices. So I had the choice of where I wanted to live and the choice of what I wanted to do because of that. And um, so I stayed in Japan and I started, you know, reading more about uh, personal finance, financial independence. And, um, you know, as time went on, I decided to start a YouTube channel um, and kind of talk about some of the things that have happened to me in my life. You know, I've, I've owned a house, I've paid off student loans, I've started over from nothing, you know, I've invested in stocks. And I just kind of thought, well, you know, again, like going back to that moment when I had graduated and I couldn't see anybody else doing what I wanted to do, I kind of wanted to be that person if this was something that somebody else was looking for and they didn't see any examples of it. So yeah, that's, that's where I am today. I'm, I'm in Mexico now because uh, all good things come to an end, including uh, Japanese tourist visas. So um, I came to Mexico, one of our, uh, one of the places that are still welcoming people with uh, American passports. And my plan is to be here um, at least through the end of the year and kind of see what, uh, what options are available at that point. Okay. Awesome. Such a, such a like inspiring story, right. And just overcoming, you know, Thank overcoming you. various challenges and, and definitely just empowering. So lots of great information, lots to un unpack there. I think the first thing I want to ask you about is, so you kind of talked about like your job background, but I think you're the only digital nomad pharmacist that I've, that I've ever met. So I guess it's, it's awesome that you were able to take like a role that is very traditionally in a, in a set, you know, uh, in a, like a settled location, and then you're able to go remote with it. So when did you, you said you did decide to choose the remote job versus doing consulting? When, when was that? Yeah. So that was, um, that was in 2019. That was early 2019 was when I decided to do that. And the reason behind that really was, um, you know, like I, I loved working abroad and I loved, you know, there are benefits to doing that. You get to know the local culture again, like you have, I feel like you have a more immersive experience when you work in a place. So, in, you know, in the hospital that I was working at, I had Dutch colleagues, you know, we had, you know, I got to learn all their holidays and, you know, had, made some really great friends. Um, so while that is beneficial, I also knew that if I was going down the consulting path, there is a limited number of places in the world that's able to afford this expensive software that I'm trained to work with. So most of the places that uh, would be open or would, you know, would be the possibility of me going to would be Western Europe um, and, you know, maybe like Singapore, you know, some, some of the wealthier places in Asia. And what really drew me to being a digital nomad was, you know, there's a lot more of the world than that. And I had seen, a, you know, from being in Europe for six months, I had seen a, a good deal of it. And, um, you know, my initial, uh, taste of, you know, living abroad was in India. So I kind of wanted to, you know, experiences more, uh, you know, a, a different, different types of places. And I hadn't ever been anywhere in Latin America. So that was, um, that was a real draw for me to choose the remote job so that I could see a, a greater diversity of places and figure out where I wanted to eventually settle someday. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, is there any, I think I asked you this before, maybe a while ago, or maybe Kelsey did, there's no like 
Because I know medical can can sometimes get complicated, right? With HIPAA and, and different laws and, and regulations and stuff. That's not an issue, like being a digital nomad and working on unsecure Wi Fi. I mean, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely can be, you know, a concern for some places. Um, and I'm I'm not going to say that every hospital would be cool with this, but um, I think that with VPNs and with you know secure networks and the other thing is I don't I don't really work you know, I don't do direct patient care anymore. So I'm not working with real patients. I'm working with test patients um, and that sort of thing. So yeah, there, I mean, there definitely is security concerns, but, you know, I think there's steps that can be be taken. Um, there are certain places in the world that like you aren't allowed to go at all and access the software just because of copyright issues. So I did have to do some research before leaving to make sure that none of the places, uh, you know, I would just be completely boxed out. Uh, from, you know, for copyright reasons. But yeah, I mean, it's, I I am lucky, like, I'm not going to say that, like, every single person in every single healthcare job can, can make it work. But I think that there's more flexibility than people think. And that, you know, there's, you never know till you ask. For sure. Yeah. What are some of those? I mean, I guess this would maybe just be specific to to pharmacists, but I guess what are some of those avenues if someone's in like the healthcare field to be able to take it remote so that they could do the digital nomad lifestyle? Yeah. So, I mean, mine was, was healthcare IT. So there's a lot of different um, avenues for, for healthcare IT. I think that there are some people who do, you know, who, who may do face-to-face counseling. Like I know that like, I still see a counselor, you know, back home with using zoom and stuff. So I think that, it's definitely on the horizon. It's definitely not a, you know, a normal thing that people do. But um, I think that, yeah, IT and like face, anything you can do face to face, you know, without having to be in the physical presence of a person uh, would be a good candidate for, for being able to, to look into this. For sure. Awesome. All right. Let's, uh, if we can talk, if we can talk about the, the digital nomad, like kind of yeah. lifestyle for a little bit. So I guess, was was the impetus just kind of like your love of of travel to begin with? You really wanted to see the world, or was it more of a financial move t- for like geographic arbitrage or combination of both? Yeah, so I didn't really come around to the geographical arbitrage until recently, and specifically till I started living on my own because um, you know it was the first time I had to make decisions about how much I was going to pay first stuff. So yeah, it was mostly, again, like it was mostly that desire to do that immersive slow travel that, that brought me into, into looking at this. And then once, you know, once COVID hit and I started making, you know, my own decisions about, you know, where I was going to live, I realized it was like, oh wait, this is freeing so much more up in my budget that I can invest. Like, oh wait, like this is like a whole movement of people who do this. So yeah, it was definitely like the love of, learning about other cultures, um, you know, that brought me way before the, the pure cost savings, the cost savings was just a bonus. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Great, great bonus though. Right. You get to yeah, exactly. get to be totally location independent, you know, see a bunch of amazing places around the world, experience different cultures, different food. And then if you're also spending, you know, way less than back in the yeah. U S it's like, Boom. Best of both worlds right there. So did you, did you jumpstart your, or did start living like the digital nomad life on remote year? Was that kind of your first? So I was remote for about, 
I'd say six months before remote year. Um, and I definitely had an apartment in Atlanta where I'm from, but I did work from, I did a lot of local like US travel. So I would go to, I think I went to Boston for a little bit. I worked from there. I worked from Asheville, North Carolina. I worked from Denver. So I was kind of testing and I wanted to, you know, test working in different places. But yeah, I had never, I was never truly nomadic because I never gave up my apartment. But, um, but yeah, the, the remote year, the real draw for me for that was the community, you know, the, the fact that you would have other people to be with. So I didn't start traveling like that until I was with remote year. Awesome. Yeah. The community is the, I feel like for remote year, it's like, for me, at least it was like, I was willing to pay just for the community, like taking care of all the travel logistics was like almost a bonus when really that's like probably their main business proposition. But yeah, I, I highly recommend remote year. I, I think it was an awesome, like an awesome way for me personally to start the digital nomad lifestyle and just to have such a great, like not only the community of the people that I traveled with on, with my group, but then just the extended community through the Slack and just the extended network of it. How, how was your experience with remote year? What do, what do you think? Um, I mean, I loved it. Like I loved every day of it, you know, and that was the other thing was just, you know, having gone through my story and everything I bought, it was just like, I don't take anything for granted. So it was like every day that I woke up, like it didn't matter, like what was going on that day. Like if there was drama or if there was, it was just like, this is, you know, I'm so grateful to like be able to do this. And that's again, like going back to my like idea of like money is choices. I would just wake up every day and be like, I can't believe that like, you know, I have these choices that I can do, you know, whatever I want for the day. So yeah, I mean, I loved it. I loved every day about it. It was, you know, really disappointing that we, um, we had to end early, but I mean, I still see, I mean, I live with two of the people from our program and there's other people from the program in, in our city. So like, you know, it's just, I'm, I'm trying to ride that train (laughs) as long as I can just, but yeah, I loved it. Absolutely. For sure. Cool. You said, you said Mexico until like the end of the year, I guess, what do, what do your future travel plans look like? Do you think you would do another like work and travel type of program or would you go out on your own a little bit more? What do you think? It would be, it would depend on where I would go. So it was, it was interesting because we started in Latin America and I definitely, like I said, most of my travel had been, it had only been Western Europe or India before that. So I didn't know anything about Latin America. I spoke no Spanish. So for me as a solo traveler, I probably would not have gone to Colombia or Chile uh, by myself. So I think that I would do that now. Like, I think that I feel more comfortable. I've been practicing (laughs) Spanish and, you know, I know, I know people, you know, so I would say that again, like if I was going to travel someplace that I'd never been before, I mean, it's always fun to be with a group. It's like people who have to hang out with you. So (laughs) why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you do that? But if I was going back to some of the places I've been before, um, so we didn't, in our year long program, we didn't get to go to Europe. Uh, so we didn't get to go to the Portugal, Croatia or Croatia or Spain, which is all places that I've been before. So I'd feel comfortable going back there. But if I was going to go, you know, someplace I'd, I'd never been before, like, uh, like other parts of Asia or Africa, then like, I would probably do a group. I'd be interested in doing a group thing again. For sure. Yeah. I think I would, I think for future, I think I'll always, I'll probably always try to do a mix of both. I think it's mm-hmm. like, I think when I was on my like actual 
program with remote year, it was like more fun maybe from a social, I had this conversation the other day. It was like more fun from a social aspect, Mm -hmm. but then I also was like more involved in like the group dynamics. And like, I had that stronger sense of FOMO and missing out. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to miss out and like, you know, spending extra money to go on this side trip to see this place, which was really fun. And like, I'm, you know, a lot of those, I'm glad that I did, but like cost extra money where I feel like when I was spending time in Southeast Asia and I was with your group, it was still great because there's another group, right? There's a yeah, whole group of people yeah. to hang out with. But I, I feel like my focus was more around being productive and working mm. on the blog and the podcast more than necessarily like having fun and going out and, and partying with people. So I feel like it's, it's nice to like have that network and then kind of be able to, you know, ebbs and flows, right? You're able to kind of mix between the two of them. Yeah. I think that's why I like the smaller groups too, is I think that, you know, I don't, I don't know. And we had one of the smaller groups. We were 24 people, but, you know, I hear stories about like back in the day when it was like 70 people, (laughs) which is like, oh my gosh. So I definitely, I definitely prefer the the smaller groups when it comes to it. You know, you're more agile, you know, somebody can leave and, you know, go do something on their own. And it's not like, oh, I'm missing out, you know? So I definitely, yeah, I definitely prefer the smaller groups. Um, And yeah, there's a, there's a good benefit that comes from, from solo travel, I mean, you would be that I, in the times that I have traveled by myself, I definitely felt like I pushed myself more to go out and, you know, meet locals and explore and do more things. Whereas when I was on a remote year, like if somebody was having a house party, they're like, everybody was just like hanging out at someone's apartment. I was like, oh, like all my friends are there. And like, I don't have to like put in any effort to go like talk to strangers. Like, why wouldn't I do that? So I think that, yeah, it's good to have a you know, a trade off of both so that you don't get too comfortable with, you know, just hanging out with the same people all over the world. (laughs) For sure. For sure. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a great point. Remote year kind of makes you like, you don't have to try very hard, right? It kind of makes you lazy in that regard. Cause you're like, Oh, I got my friends built in, but then yeah, you could miss out on maybe a more authentic local experience or like, you know, putting yourself out there and making like friends on your own somewhere. So yeah, that's a great point. All right. Shifting gears kind of to like more of the financial independence piece. I definitely want to talk through this with you. How did you first like come across or discover the concept of FIRE, financial independence, retire early? Yeah. So um, I heard about FIRE, I don't even know how many years ago. It was some piece done on like 60 Minutes or some like cable news show. And the way that they had framed it was like, look at these millennials that are like saving every penny. They're living in their parents' basements and eating discount (laughs) vegetables and like saving all this money to hope to retire by 40. And I remember looking at that and I was like, 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 I don't want that. (laughs) Like I want to, you know, I want to do things when I'm young, you know, I want to like go to Machu Picchu while I still have good knees, you know, like I want to, you know, be able to enjoy my life. And if that means I have to work an extra few years, that's fine. So I kind of wrote off the concept when I first heard about it. And it really wasn't until I circled back around to it, you know, this last year when, you know, like I was, I was saving money, you know, being in COVID and, you know, doing, you know, having location arbitrage, living in in cheaper places. It wasn't until I had, you know, I noticed my saving rate, savings rate going up that like, I tried to be more intentional with it and I revisited it and I was 
like, oh, this is what they were talking about. You know, like you don't, I don't have to spend my money on dumb stuff that doesn't bring me joy, you know, just to impress my neighbor. You know, I could spend only on the things that matter to me and bring me happiness and then take whatever I want, you know, take whatever's left over and save it and not have to work forever. And so it, it was really that reframing that came much and that came much later that um, made me take it, take another look and, and take it much more seriously. For sure. Yeah. That the reframing piece, I feel like was that, that was key for me. Cause I feel like I, I naturally am more of a spender. Like I always had pretty decent savings, but nef- definitely not like fire level savings rate yeah. until I kind of had to reframe and, and really like drill that in of like only spending on things that are truly like meaningful to you. Um, what were some of those things that you discovered for yourself? Do you have any like frugal tips or anything that you kind of cut back on? Cause it wasn't adding value to your life. I mean that like before, you know, when, when I was younger, you know, I had like a, a really nice car. Um, I had like a really nice house at one point. I remember like buying, uh, a lot of clothes that were, you know, from nice stores and that actually, that reframing of like not buying stuff to impress other people probably took place after I got divorced, where I had to manage my money for the first time before I ever knew about fire. I was like, okay, well, I'm just not going to spend on any of this stuff that, you know, I thought was important before. It doesn't, you know, none of this stuff matters. So I also knew at that point that um, I was going to travel again. Like this was before I had found, but I knew that I was going to. So I had a very minimalist apartment where I just had like a bed in a studio. So my bed was like, five feet away from my stove, like my <laughs> kitchen stove. And, um, I loved it though, because it was like, I don't have it. You know, I, why would I, why do I need furniture? Why do I need a TV? Like, you know, I'm, I'm going to go and travel eventually in one way or another. And this is just more stuff that's owning me, you know, as you'd say, like, instead of me owning it. So that was, yeah, I've definitely like, even before I started, I mean, traveling also kind of makes you make hard decisions about what you want and what you don't want. It kind of forces you to be a minimalist because you can only carry so much with you. Um, but yeah, even before I started traveling, I realized I didn't need, I didn't need a nice car. Like I didn't need, um, furniture really. Like I would just have friends over and they would eat Mexican food on my bed, which I wouldn't recommend to like anybody, but like you need less than you think you do. So yeah, furniture, clothes. I was always an experienced person. So even before I started doing this, I would, you know, at that time I would still spend money when it, you know, when it meant hanging out with my friends or having a new experience or getting to see something I didn't see before. And even now I'm starting to relook at some of that, like, just because I haven't done something before, doesn't mean I have to do it, you know, kind of looking at, at that. And I had always, yeah, that was a real reframing for me too, is to take like the spending and the minimalism concepts and not just apply them to objects, but also to experiences. Like um, that was also like, I don't have to do it if I don't want to, am I doing it because I think somebody else wants me to do it? Am I doing it because I feel obligated? Um, You know, so that, that kind of questioning of those, of that type of experience and that type of spending has also been a big reframing for me more recently. I love that. Yeah. That's a great point. I like the, I like what you said about like, Digital Nomad kind of forces you to be a minimalist too, in terms of like the stuff aspect of it. That's just, yeah, yeah. another reason why financial independence and digital nomad lifestyle go fit so well together. 
you can't take it with you. Like, yeah, so <laughs> right. you got to yeah. think about it. Yeah. yeah. Where, yeah. Where are you going to, yeah. Why would you buy an expensive, like couch or something, right? Like can't, can't travel with that, you know, you can't bring it with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then also when you get something new, having to like evaluate what you've already have and say like, okay, like I do actually love this. Like, you know, I find something that I really want and I, you know, I find this scarf, I found this beautiful, like cashmere scarf that I got in, um, in Vietnam. And I was like, Oh, like, I love this. And, you know, having to look and say like, well, this jacket that I bought four months ago, I don't actually love this as much as I, you know, so having like a fixed amount of um, weight or amount that you can carry helps you kind of prioritize what you really want. For sure. For sure. So I wanted to ask, like, I, so in kind of like hearing your story and stuff, I didn't hear any piece in there of like, Oh, I hate my work. It's like a terrible situation, you know, anything like that. I feel like sometimes people are drawn to financial independence because maybe they are, are in a bad situation or they really don't like the situation that they're in. But it sounds like for you, it's more of kind of the freedom and the flexibility aspect. Is is that correct? Is that kind of what drew you to financial independence? Yeah, I would say that it is. It is funny that you you say that because you know, being in pharmacy, I have a lot of uh, friends who are retail pharmacists. You know, who work at the CVS and the Walgreens, and I've done that a little bit um, when I was a student, and that was you know extremely hard. That was you know extremely uh, challenging. You know, fourteen hour days, no breaks. You know, just like labor laws being broken left and right. Um, you know, it's it's a really hard job. And it's, it's interesting because one of the first um, introductions that I had to FIRE was the guy who does Choose FI, who he also has a podcast that he was a pharmacist. I remember him talking about that, that grind. And I was like, oh, I know that. Like, I, I totally see why you would be, why you would be drawn to that. So no, like, honestly, I, I really enjoy my work. I think it's really rewarding. I was more, again, into financial independence is because like, I know that you know, I know nothing's guaranteed. That's if anything that we've learned recently is, um, you know, nothing tomorrow's never guaranteed the situation that we're in. I don't even like to say like, oh, I was supposed to be in Croatia. Like, no, I wasn't supposed to be anywhere. Like, you know, it would have been great, but like, that's not, that's not a guarantee. And so, you know, the situation that I have, even with my work right now, I mean, it's not, it's not guaranteed. It's, you know, I know that there could be a change at any time. And, you know, I try to keep my skills up and I try to keep, you know, my relationships, uh, you know, up and, and keep myself agile to be able to, to accommodate that. And it's, that's really what it is. It's about being adaptable and being agile to deal with a changing world and a changing situation and financial independence just kind of fits into that. If you don't also have to factor in, oh, how am I going to make money? Then it just makes decision-making a lot easier to base on your values and your, you know, what's important to you. Absolutely. Yeah. Just to have that safety net, right. Have the, some, yeah. uh, F you money, right. Just in case, yeah. you know, <laughs> that was just, my favorite. Yeah. Just in I case. love that concept. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Just in case something crazy happens, right. Just to be prepared. So you mentioned choose FI. That's an awesome podcast. Definitely one of the more popular ones in the financial independence space. Are there any other great resources that you found when you were kind of, you know, really getting into researching this concept? Yeah, I love, um, Arbridge journey on YouTube. Um, they're this couple who, do you know them? Yeah. I love, I love the way that they explain stuff. 
they were some of the first resources that I found that really broke down, like, this is how you, you know, do, you know, IRA conversion ladder. Like, this is actually how you open an account. This is actually how you do this. And, you know, I love that they mix in, you know, their, the fact that they live in Portugal and, you know, raising kids. Like, I love, you know, how it's like any idea that I have about like, oh, what if this happens? It's like, oh, they have a video about this. <laughs> They're like, oh, what if you want to live abroad? Oh, we live abroad. Like, oh, what if I want to have kids someday? We have kids. Oh, <laughs> like, what if like, you know, and, um, and yeah, I really like their, their attitude of like, you know, just find, not just find a way to do it, but like, there is a solution. Like, you know, if you've decided that you're going to do this, like there is a way, you know, and, and I just think that they're, they're so positive and like, I just, yeah, they're like my older brother and sister. <laughs> like, I just, I love, I love their channel. And so, yeah, that's also like, you know, when I started my channel, I wanted to be, you know, kind of like a different, like a single person's like version of that. That's the goal. It's a dream. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Those are, those are both great resources. I'll definitely link to those in, in the show yeah. notes. Yeah. So you kind of brought it up that, That's what I was going to, ask you about next. Let's, let's, uh, talk about your, your channel about financial independence. Yeah. So, um, my, my idea behind the channel, yeah, like I said, like it's corny, but like, I wanted to be an example for, you know, what, what I would have liked to see, you know, 10, 12 years ago when I was trying to figure my life out. And, you know, I've made a lot of decisions, you know, I've made a lot of, I've had a lot of financial experiences, uh, you know, so like I've, I've paid off, you know, $60,000 worth of loans. I've bought a house, you know, I've bought like a luxury sports car for reason, you know, like I've done, um, you know, I've invested in stocks. Like I've, I don't know everything. Um, uh, obviously I'm not a financial advisor, but, um, I've had just a lot of experiences and I have a lot of friends come to me and ask and say, Oh, you know, I want to get, well, they'll just send me a text. and be like, how do I invest in stocks? Which is <laughs> like one line. And it's like, okay, like we got, we got a lot to talk about. If you want to start, you want to start investing in the stock market. And so that was really the, the motivation behind it was, you know, if I'm talking to my friend who's asking me how to invest in stocks, like what would I say to her? And like, maybe somebody else would want to see it too. And, um, you know, I, I had done a lot of looking on YouTube and, um, at the time, and like I found more people now. But when I was first looking, when I was first learning about fire, it was—I mean, no offense—a lot of white guys talking about financial independence, and so I felt like, you know, there was an angle coming at it from, you know, a woman's perspective that I felt like wasn't being captured. And you know, now that I'm in it, of course, like I see women everywhere, and I'm like, oh my gosh, how could I have missed them? Um, but I do think that the idea of like of choices of, you know, that idea of like having money and having financial independence gives you choices about what you want to do in your life. I felt like that's really what I wanted to drive home. I know, you know, my mom um, is was financially independent. I helped her use an ATM for the first time, you know, in her 60s while we were in, uh, we were traveling together in Europe. And, you know, so I didn't have like a lot of women role models that, you know, were financially independent. But um, so, yeah, I just wanted to show that perspective. Um, and now I realize that there are a lot of people out there giving this perspective too. But I think that it's still unique with the uh, with the travel aspect and with the location independence aspect of it. I think that there's, you know, in addition to the experiences that I've had with different, you know, financial decisions, um, you know, the 
the benefits of living abroad and and there's a lot that can be that can be said in it. So yeah, I just started it. It's been it's been about a month. So um, I'm just trying to grow it right now and try, kind of trying to find my voice. But it's been it's been a really good uh, COVID quarantine project so far. Absolutely, that's awesome. Yeah, I will link to it in the show notes. And yeah, I think Great, it's Im- I think it's important that everyone you know, if they have something to say, right? Like everyone should should have a voice and should put out there, you know, what they're what they're promoting, what they, what they believe in. Right. I think there's always room for, for more voices to the conversation. So that's awesome. I also, I also love, like you said, your friend, like just texted you like, Oh, Hey, how do, how do I invest in socks? <laughs> like it's probably, pro- I mean, I guess some, some, it is a little bit, it, it's definitely easier nowadays. Like you probably could just like send someone a link, like, Oh, sign up here. But it's a little bit more of an in-depth conversation than that. Yeah. It's it's not even how it's more like, should I like, you know, at what point is this a good idea? And there's a, you know, there's a lot of advice that, you know, is flying around. Like, oh, like this, like Apple stock is split. Like it's going to go up. Everybody's got to buy it. And it's just like, as I've gotten more into this, like finance, personal finance world, you know, on social media, I just kind of see like how diverse, you know, the, the recommendations are, which makes sense. Like everybody has different lives. Everybody can do whatever they want with their money. Um, I can recommend anybody else do whatever they want, but, but yeah, like I wanted to take that conversation a step further instead of just saying like how do I invest in stocks but like okay these are like the situations that it might be beneficial to invest in stocks or like these are the things to think about you know if you're thinking about investing in stocks like you know how what is your what does your debt look like you know do you have an emergency fund you know what kind of stocks are you know are you interested in so yeah I wanted it to be a a bigger than a text message conversation (laughs) and that's kind of what spurred it. Awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. I will I'm excited to see, you know, new content, new videos coming out. Maybe a few Yeah, every Friday, Finance Friday. So. Finance Friday. I like it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, if you ever want to do, you know, any interviews on it, I'm yeah, I'm always I'll, down. I'll have you on. Sounds that good. That would be a great great collab. All right. Yeah, sounds good. That would be a lot of fun. So I kind of already asked you about the future, but I mean, I guess maybe like longer term future, I don't know, maybe like five to 10 years down the line, like is geo arbitrage, like a part of your financial independence plan? Do you think, or do you think you want to come back to the U S and have like a home base at any point in the future? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I would like to uh, continue to live abroad. I think that again, from watching our rich journey and kind of looking at them, there's, I've kind of learned about some of the places around the world that offer retirement visas or people who, you know, long stay visas for people that have a certain amount of income coming in um, from their investments. So I think that there is a lot of options. Um, You know, you never know what the future holds. You know, I have parents, I have a brother who's, um, who's disabled, you know, so there's like, there's always commitments. There's always a reason, you know, that I could go back, you know, nothing's guaranteed, but, you know, I kind of made that decision in Japan when I had the chance to go back when the borders were closing. And I thought, you know, now like, again, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So if this is the life that I want, I'm going to try to live it as long as I can. So that's, that's the plan that I'm going to operate under. And yeah, I mean, it's, I, there's tons of people that, you know, I love and I I miss at home, but um, you know, I kind of want to see, see where this goes. 
Absolutely. How was, I wanted to ask you about that. How was like quarantine and everything in Japan during the, uh, during the pandemic? It was, I mean, it was great considering. Um, so Japan was interesting because they never did a full lockdown. So there was something in their constitution that basically said that they couldn't, um, you know, force businesses to close and they couldn't force people to stay in for, you know, 23 hours a day. But they asked very nicely, um, you know, for the for the businesses. And so a lot of businesses did close, but there were still people out. So, um, you know, everybody, you know, mask wearing is a part of the culture there. So I felt very safe going out. And I also think that there's some cultural norms about uh, personal space as well. So, it's you know, it's not a very PDA uh, hugging, kissing culture. So I think that that really helped with the make the spread not get uh, as bad as it we'd seen in some other countries. And it was interesting because when it was first happening, you know, the first thing that I thought was like, oh, you know, this is going to hit Japan really hard because they have this, you know, this older population. Everybody lives in really close quarters, especially in like mega cities like Tokyo. Like this is going to, this is going to tear through this country. And we really didn't see it. So, um, you know, I think the last I checked, they were at a, about as many deaths as the state I'm in in Mexico has, like the whole country of 100 million people. So it's it's done really well. And I, I think that, uh, again, I think the culture of mask wearing, I think the culture of, you know, looking out for people, you know, we're all in this together and along with, yeah. So they never even, I remember being in Tokyo and they never, like remote work wasn't really a big part of the culture uh, at that time. So people were still going into the offices, like the, you know, the, the trains, and again, I'm sure it was less than it was in non-COVID times. I've only been to Tokyo during COVID, so I'm sure that it is busier, but it seemed just like a regular thriving metropolis to me. But yeah, I felt I felt really safe and I knew that, uh, yeah, every, you know, there were things that I could do within my control as well. You know, obviously I wasn't, For sure. you know, going out drinking or, yeah. you know, going to nightclubs or anything. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was, it was a really cool, it was, it was, it was a cool experience to kind of see how another country dealt with the same problem. And I think that's, that's a really interesting, I mean, the whole, the whole six months has been really interesting from a, a healthcare, you know, perspective to kind of look at how each of the countries have handled it and kind of what things worked, what things didn't. It's, it's, it's a really kind of fascinating experiment if you take, you know, the horrible human suffering toll out of it, like from an intellectual perspective, it's been interesting to watch, but yeah, it was, I was, I felt, I felt very lucky. I felt very grateful to be able to stay in Japan that long. Yeah. So they let me stay for six months and, and that was uh, a really unique and great experience. That's good. How about the, one more quick question about Japan. How about like cost wise? Cause I've heard everyone I talk to is like, oh, Japan is awesome. It's so great, but it's just like, it's not like a cheaper cost of living place. Yeah. So I would say that when you visit Japan as a tourist, I think that you generally stay in hotels, which are expensive. And I think you generally go up to eat because you're in Japan, you got to go to like, you know, the, the fixed course you know, 12 sushi omakase uh, tasting. And that really wasn't the case. So I was staying at Airbnbs, which I will say everybody was hyped for the Olympics. So I think that a lot of people got their Airbnbs all ready for the Olympics and the Olympics didn't come. So I will say that we did see some 
huge discounts in an accommodation um, due to that. And then honestly, I just, I ate most of my food from 7-Eleven <laughs> and <laughs> it's so good there. Like I, I'm not even, I mean, it's not like 7-Eleven in the US. I mean, they have like, they have great fresh food and, and frozen food and great fried chicken that I still miss. But, um, but yeah, so it, it was definitely not like Southeast Asia cheap, but I also think that there's been this trend with travelers so with digital nomads and with backpackers to kind of compare the cost of everything to Southeast Asia, where if anybody, I notice on like the subreddits, if anybody talks about the cost of living in, in Latin America or Eastern Europe or some, someone always feels like they have to say, well, oh, you're so much cheaper in Southeast Asia. Well, yeah, it is, but like not everybody has to be there, you know? So right. I would say that, yeah, Japan is definitely more expensive than that, but I was still saving money in Japan compared to what I was spending in Atlanta before I oh, started wow, traveling. Okay. Um, so based on the accommodation being cheaper and um, not going out. I mean, that's the other thing is yeah, that's, I'm somebody that's that, that likes to go out. <laughs> so that's a huge, that's a huge cost saving as well. So I would definitely say if somebody is budget minded, like I wouldn't say skip Japan. I think that there's a lot, a lot of beauty there. And I think also I was in Kyoto for, for four months and then uh, Tokyo for the rest in Kyoto was definitely cheaper than Tokyo. And I mean, I thought just like visually prettier. It was also nice to be there without a million other tourists. So that was also a really unique experience. But yeah, I would say that if you're budget minded, there are ways to save money in, in Japan, like tackle your accommodation and your food, you know, watch how much you drink and you know, it's, it's, it can be, it can be doable. You know, you can live off, off, the, similarly to what you would in the U.S. All right, Kim, just a few more questions. And then we yeah, can okay. wrap it up here. What is what is a new positive habit or routine that you've developed just recently, like last few months? Um, I would say exercising every day. So again, when I was in Japan during this time, I was working the night shift. So I had um, I had all day, like I would generally wake up around noon or one that's who I am. But, um, <laughs> and I would have, I would have like five or six hours before I'd have to log into work. And again, like during COVID times, like it's not, it, there wasn't, there was some stuff I could do, but it wasn't the same as before. So I really decided to just work out every day. Like I'd always been active, but, but I'd been like a three to four times a week person. And you know, I had read some studies, you know, things were hard in the beginning, especially, I mean, I think, I think they're still hard now, but like, I, it was really hard in the beginning, especially having remote year end. And then just like this huge life transition happened. So I was feeling a little down and, you know, I'd seen some, you know, some studies that said that, you know, exercise worked as well as antidepressants for mild depression. And so I thought, you know, let's give it a try, but I'm going to do it every day. Like if I'm going to take an antidepressant, I'm going to take it every day. So I'm going to take it as if it was, you know, like a medication. And that's just really like transformed my life for so much, you know, it's such a keystone habit that just, you know, makes so much other stuff in your day go so much better. So I would say that it's, it's definitely been a habit that I want to continue. It's been harder with the transition to um, back to central, like US time to be working at the same time, because I don't have the that five hours before I wake up for work, but really prioritizing that and really just having one, you know, just saying, as long as I get that done, you know, having one thing to focus on has just had like a measurable effect, um, you know, for my mental health and, you know, physical 
help as well. So yeah, that's something I hope to continue. Awesome. Yeah. hundred percent agree with you. Exercise is like the one thing for me, like to function, to be a hundred percent mentally and physically, like I have to have to be exercising consistently. Like if I take, are you, you doing know, CrossFit? Are you back in CrossFit or are you, uh, I'm, I'm doing back, the, the homework? I'm, I'm back doing, doing CrossFit. I just, nice. I, yeah, I love the, uh, I just, I love the group classes. Like, I feel like yeah. if, if I was to do burpees, <laughs> if I was to do burpees <laughs> by myself, <laughs> like I would do like five to 10 burpees. And I'd be like, uh, you know, I'm tired. I, I'm done with this. But like, I, I love that kind of just like social accountability. Like, yes, yes. If the workout says you have to do a hundred burpees, like you better believe you're going to be doing a hundred burpees, right? Like you can't just like, people are going to call you out. Yeah. You can't just like give up or stop in the middle of class. So I do love doing CrossFit or any type of like group exercise class. I feel like that pushes me to, to work out harder and yeah, I get a good, good workout in. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, I used to back at, back in the, the pre times I used to, but yeah, maybe someday I'll get back into, into CrossFit. For sure. Yeah. yeah I, I was trying to, yeah, I did some like I did some workouts at, at home and yeah, I mean, they were, they were pretty good, but yeah, if, if it's, yeah, it's, not it's the same. yeah, it's, it's <laughs> tough. It's tough during these times. I, you know, I understand a lot of, a lot of places still aren't, aren't open and stuff too. Right. So it's tough. All right, Kim, this is a lot of fun. Thank you for being on the show. If people Thanks so much, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. If people really, you know, they resonated with your story, they want to connect with you. They want to learn more. They want to watch your channel on YouTube. Where are the best places for them to find you out online? Yeah, so um, my YouTube channel is just my name, uh, which is spelled kind of funny. So it's K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-I-G-H. Kimberly, uh, last name Stan, S-T-A-N. Um, that's my channel. That's also, um, I have an Instagram handle under that name. And my personal handle is Dr. Stank, uh, which is not finance based. <laughs> it's not finance based, but it's more uh, travel and means. But yeah, those are, those are the two places that I generally live online. Awesome. I love it. I will link them up in the show Thanks notes. Thanks so much. Cool. Okay, Kim, great. thank you for being on the show. This is a lot of fun. Thanks so much for having me. It's great. Cool. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Nomad on Fire podcast. If you like the show, if you could do us a huge favor and please subscribe on whatever platform that you're using to listen to this. If you could also leave a five-star review, that would really help us out and allow the show to be available to more people. See you next time on the Nomad on Fire podcast.